We've done the old-fashioned story. We did a story on the zipper, you might recall. Oh, and another on the history of pockets. But tonight we will discuss a fashion item that even I can embrace. Indeed, I do. The trench coat. And I, uh, to this day, wear a battered example. The trench coat has uh, managed to transition from its use by soldiers in the trenches of World War One to an item not out of place on the catwalk. And while the uh, trench coat is no doubt functional in its capacity to protect the weather, the wearer from the weather, rain and wind, it takes on so much more meaning through its use by cultural and political icons, from uh, Philip Marlowe to Marlene Dietrich and on to Bob Dylan and Neo and Trinity in The Matrix. Now, my next guest has explored the history of this uh, fascinating garment and the versatility of its use, its meaning, and despite and perhaps because of its unremarkable exterior. My guest is Jane Tynan. Jane is an assistant professor of design, history and theory at the Free University of Amsterdam and has penned a beautiful little book called Trenchcoat, which is a part of a Bloomsbury series called Object Lessons, which we um, highly recommend. Jane, the worst-dressed man in Australia, welcomes you to our little program. Thank you, Philip. Glad what, to be here. What drew you to the trench coat? Well, like you say, it's a fashion item, but it is so much more. And when I was doing uh, when I was doing research on military uniform a few years ago, I realised that the trench coat was a big story of the First World War and probably the only piece of military kit that really survived the war. And we find now. This piece of kit is still thriving 20 years, or not 20 years later, 100 years later. Um, <clears throat> and I became interested in the origins of the coat. But one of the things that happened was I looked into its history and found that in every decade of the 20th century, the trench coat was there in literature, in film, in theatre, and of course in fashion. So what you've done is penetrated impenetrability. In a way, one of the most interesting features about the trench coat is its impervious finish. It's all about waterproofing. The whole story is about creating this wonder garment, which is, uh, makes the fabric impervious to water. But of course, throughout the 20th century and into the 21st century, as you say, um, it, it created all kinds of imaginaries that it could really make us impervious to all kinds of dangers and risks uh, that we might encounter in everyday life. So it's more than a waterproof shield, uh, as far as I can see. Jane Tynan, what, do you, what are the essential features that a coat must have before it becomes a, a proper trench coat? Well, I think a trench coat isn't a trench coat unless it is waterproof. I mean, when we think about what the early manufacturers of trench coats were trying to do, their main aim was to create a waterproof um, fabric. So it has to be weatherproof. It has to be a weatherproof textile. And there are many, many ways to achieve this through a kind of a dressed fabric or a very tight weave. Anything that will make the, the, the fabric, the coat, impervious usually to, to rain, to weather. Um, 
The epaulettes are also a nice feature of the classic trench coat. We know these as decorative shoulder coverings for the military, a kind of shoulder cap uh, that have historically been used to um, to attach military insignia. But of course, with the trench coat, that's not what they're for. They're purely uh, decorative. They're just a style uh, feature. Um, the double-breasted aspect is also important because, of course, the trench coat is all about being warm uh, and being weatherproof. So being double-breasted, it's a bit warmer. Um, and the belt is important too. Uh, one of the things I found when I was looking at the trench coat in the book was I wondered whether I would get away with, for instance, uh, looking at Steve McQueen and Bullet, who wears a car coat, which doesn't have this the belt. And I felt in the end I, I didn't really think that was a trench coat. So the, the belt is important. The sleeve loops on the wrists keep out the cold. The large pockets, of course. Uh, well, let, let's dwell on the pockets. Let's dwell on the pockets for, for a moment because they've okay. got to be big enough, as you point out, for a map. Uh, and thought, and there should also be a storm flap to win, let water run off the shoulders. Yes. So the storm flap, some people call it the gun flap, but really it's it's to ensure that the water runs away from the body instead of slipping into the coat. Um, everything about this coat is engineered to keep water and cold out, everything about it. It's a highly engineered piece of clothing, which is probably, Philip, why you like it. It doesn't feel like fashion. It feels like um, something much more instrumental, much more practical. And the pockets, of course, have been uh, useful for military use, but also we all find them useful. Um, you can put a, a little book, for instance, in, in the large trench coat pocket. Um, the D-rings are an interesting feature. We rarely see them anymore, but I think Burberry might have a, a design with the D-rings. They had a military function to carry ammunition. And last but not least, I actually think that the drab color is very important. Now, we may see trench coats now in red or blue, but originally they were khaki, they were olive, beige. And this, of course, has to do with their original use in the First World War as camouflage. Now... The history of the trench coat begins in the trenches of World War One. Yes, that's correct. Um, it got its name from the trenches of the First World War on the Western Front, in particular. Um, is uh, the name? Uh, this was probably the first time that any coat really was was called after an event or, or a thing. Prior to this, the coats were called, they might have been called, we had trench coats before the First World War, but they were called waterproofs or water coats or uh, weather coats. And at this point, there was this move towards branding uh, and linking it to the First World War became extremely important. Um, it was obviously a link to the First World War, created a kind of a sense of a patriotic item. But also what's really important to remember is that off, it was only an item, it was an optional item for uh, British officers in the First World War. So rank and file did not wear them. Um, and those British army officers would have purchased 
their own coat in a retail outlet. So the result was that the trench coat was actually available to everybody during the First World War, not just the British Army officers. So you can see how the war really birthed the design, not just in the trenches, but also in the wider society. And of course, you can imagine a coat called a trench coat would really be almost a form of propaganda on the home front. And we should also make the point that the great coat was not loved by the soldiers because it was so bloody heavy, especially when wet. Yes, uh, the great coat was the kind of style that was fairly uh, classic for those soldiers, but it became uh, a problem. It would become waterlogged. Mud uh, would, would really um, uh, make the, the coat very, very heavy. And we have lots of stories, lots of accounts I've, I've seen uh, suggest that it was a problem. And what they were really seeking was something that was light, that gave soldiers mobility in the field. And of course, the trench coat was a great solution. Now, we've got to move this along because there's so much to tell. So let's take it as read that it, uh, tr the trench coat moves to the civilians via, well, sportsmen and uh, upper class for outdoor activities and becomes worn by women as well as men. But I'd forgotten, if I ever knew, that the trench coat was also adopted by the subversive movements of the early 20th century. Yes, we see a lot of examples of um, trench coats becoming associated with subversives. We see in anarchists uh, were um, in, in Edwardian literature, for instance, we see in Joseph Conrad's The Secret Agent. Anarchists were often painted as trench coated men, shadowy figures in the city, uh, walking around, hiding in plain sight with bombs in their pockets. We know that, for instance, in the Spanish Civil War, uh, there was a famous anarchist called Kiko Sabate, uh, and he hid um, his Thompson submachine gun under his trench coat, and he was considered a very a ruthless character in various guerrilla actions. I'm, I must interrupt to remind myself that uh, Ernest Hemingway adopted the style because he thought it gave him panache, but uh, you also make the point that the IRA was fond of them. Yes, the early IRA from 1919, in the War of Independence, um, the, uh, the IRA actually wore the coat really quite widely. Uh, by that time, of course, the, the First World War is over. The trench coats are widely available. Uh, people can just buy them in shops. And, of course, these rebels are looking for um, a cover for weapons. Uh, they're also looking for a cover for weapons in a country that's very, very wet. So it keeps their weapons dry. Um, and they're also looking for something that will um, blend them with the local population. And this is how they stay ahead of a very powerful enemy. Your so book, a, your book uh, reminds us about uh, James Joyce and Virginia Woolf use the trench coat as a sort of motif. But I, I also note with interest that it was very popular with journalists. I seem to recall Ed Murrow had one and certainly Walter Cronkite. Yes, I think that the, um, the trench coat has been very much associated with 
the war reporter, with the foreign correspondent. And we know that in the 1930s in particular, the, the trench coat became really synonymous with war reporters. And Ernest Hemingway was a good example of that. He, um, he was reporting for the American Newspaper Alliance, I think it was, in the Spanish Civil War, and he brought his trench coat with him. And we, we have photographs showing him uh, in the trench coat. But we also have lots of accounts of uh, people who associated with Ernest Hemingway talking about his lovely uh, trench coat. And I think it was a kind of war-worn kind of look. It seemed to be uh, part military, part civilian. So it suited these guys who were not part of the, uh, who were not uh, military actors as such, but they were in and around the field, field of battle and they were, you know, they wanted to look the part and they wanted to blend. You make the powerful point that because of its bulk, its ability to hide things, not only in its pockets, but in the way it creates mystery and curiosity about what is under the coat. Yes, I think this is very important. And I think this is what made it particularly uh, important, almost critical to the film noir uh, genre when it was worn by both gangsters and detectives. And I think you mentioned um, Philip Marlowe, and we see that Philip Marlowe um, uh, uh, wears his trench coat in the 1939 novel Big Sleep, and we see that it not only hides his gun, but it also, to some extent, hides his motives. And as a detective in that period, in that difficult period when um, gangsterism is at its height following prohibition, um, crime fiction in the US was very, very concerned with the way in which the cities, US cities, the mean streets of US cities, as uh, uh, Raymond Chandler called them, uh, it was very, very hard to distinguish between police, bandits, gangsters, law enforcers, lawbreakers, and the trench coat became part of that of that air of mystery uh, in the American city in that period. Jane, I'm wearing a trench coat in honour of your appearance. Do you have one? I do have one, actually. Yes, I do. Uh, I got it many years ago. And I keep saying I'm going to buy a new one, but I, I keep just, I'm really attached to it. And there's something about the trench coat, isn't there? It's, it's a, you, you become attached. It's like a living thing. Jane, you're a delight. Jane Tyne, an author of Trench Coat, which is part of the Object Lessons, a series published by Bloomsbury. Jane's day job is Assistant Professor of Design History and Theory at the Free University of Amsterdam. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.